0: Welcome to Top of Mind, the show where we talk to real estate industry insiders and experts about the biggest trends impacting the market today. Enjoy the show. Mike Simonson here. Thanks for joining me today. Welcome to the Top of Mind podcast. This is where I talk to the smartest leaders, thinkers, doers in the real estate industry. For a few years now, we've been sharing the latest market data every week in our Altos Research weekly video series. With the Top of Mind podcast, We like to add context to the discussion about what's happening in the market and in the industry from the leaders in the industry. Each week, of course, Altos Research tracks every home in the country, all the pricing, all the supply and demand, all the changes in that data, and we make it available to you before you see it in the traditional channels. People desperately need to know what's happening in the housing market right now. It's been so crazy. It was so crazy to the hot side, and then it cooled off so fast. The landscape has changed so dramatically. Everybody is worried about what happens in 2023. So if you need to communicate about this market to your clients, your buyers and sellers, go to altosresearch.com, book a free consultation with our team. We can talk about local market, your local market, how to use the market data in your business, and we can help. You communicate because everybody needs to know what's happening in the market right now. So, and speaking of keeping your clients informed, I've got a terrific guest today, Clayton Collins. Clayton is the CEO of Housing Wire Media, HW Media, the publisher of Housing Wire, Real Trends, Reverse Mortgage Daily. He leads HW Media's corporate strategy and content roadmap and building, while well, building a best in class, best best world class team of business media professionals building a media empire and in case you missed it my company altos research was acquired by housing wire hw media earlier this month in december so clayton and i are now colleagues so we're going to talk today a little bit about hw media and clayton's vision for the future and the things we get to accomplish together so clayton welcome to the podcast Thank you, Mike. It looks. I think we we had to do
1: a deal before I got an invitation to join Top of Mind. <laughs> I kind of feel like I bought my way into this interview. In it,
0: we have we have the only the best in the industry, Clayton, on the podcast. So clearly, well, you're above the bar. Well, Mike, i Thank you for the
1: introduction. And I, I have to say, when we talk about the best in the industry, and our mission of building a world-class team of housing professionals you my friend are part of that vision and a big part of why this combination of hw media with housing wire and real trends reverse mortgage daily and altos will be so successful because of the expertise and experience that that you bring to the table so i'm thrilled to work with you
0: yeah me too it's it's an exciting next part of the journey for both of us so that's really great and while we could sit here and talk about our company our companies and our company for the whole time. I really want to hear your vision about the market, the changing market, the things that we talk about on this podcast. But before we get into those things, let's do a little bit about, tell us about HW Media. I'm interested in your journey getting there. And then maybe we could talk about your vision for the future. So tell us about HW Media. Tell our listeners.
1: Yeah. So Mike, I founded HW Media in 2016 when i led a group of investors and myself to acquire housing wire from the founders paul and richard who started the business back in 06 07 and really turned it into an actual media brand in in 08 and ran hard for eight years but it was a an opportune time for me to come in help them transition out of the housing wire business and start hw media and i thought it was kind of I still kind of chuckle to myself when people kind of misspeak and call us housing wire versus HW media and back and forth because the story is like, it's not that strategic. So like the LLC when we bought housing wire from Paul and Richard was HW publishing and when we're doing an asset deal and my lawyers, we need a new name. What do you got? I'm like, I don't know, it media and just like change publishing to media and run, like it was supposed to just be kind of a, an LLC on the paperwork, like assuming that. <clears throat> Everything we would do would be under the housing wire brand name. But as our strategy has played out, which, you know, from the beginning has been to be acquire, operate, and grow. Like we know that we have some DNA in the MA space. It's my background as an MA banker. And I believe it's a way that we can build the company we want to build on a faster trajectory and also bring together the people we want to bring together on a faster trajectory than going straight organic. So. When we acquired real trends, that was kind of like, all right, we kind of have like a, a portfolio approach, like a family of brands approach here. And we need a built to build a brand around this LLC that I formed when we bought housing wire. So HW media is like, all right, let's make a, Let's make a logo a stand up a website. And uh, I wouldn't, I'd be lying if I didn't tell you I'm not sitting on three dozen domain names that like could be like a future, like consolidated brand, but we're pretty happy with, with what we, the brand we take to market today, which is HW media, which is the, the parent co for housing wire, real trends, Altos research, reverse mortgage daily, and hopefully more as we continue this growth strategy of serving the housing market and housing professionals
0: with news and information, data. That's great. It was a creative leap in branding when you started. <laughs> I started Altos Research. People are like, where did that name come from? And I was like, I lived in Los Altos, California, and it was Altos Research. And that was it. And it was a placeholder name 17 years ago. And yet here we are. So Man,
1: it's amazing what placeholders can
0: become. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, grown fond of the brand. So that's great. And I actually do the, a lot of the, I did it a couple of times in my little intro that, that switch housing wire and HW Media use it sort of interchangeably. But, you know, we'll talk about HW Media in this conversation and your role leading that and in, into the future. So, so HW Media publishes publisher and it's media and data and the audience is, tell me about like your vision of the audience and who you're informing and reaching. So, part of the founding vision of
1: Housing Wire was that housing market focused news and information was relatively disjointed. And Housing Wire sought to bring together mortgage and real estate and loan servicing and capital markets news all under one brand. And there's a kind of a really admirable vision there. And there's some belief that from the founders of Housing Wire that A lot of the factors that led to the great financial crisis could have been avoided to some extent with better information flow across different professional categories. If home builders knew what was happening in the real estate sales market, if loan originators and mortgage executives, more importantly, knew what was happening in the real estate sales market and the home building market, if secondary markets desk and Wall Street capital markets firms understood kind of the junk that was coming up the pipe. If loan servicers knew the impact that changes in home prices or black swan events could have on total portfolios, if all of that information, the housing market was understood at a kind of a sector-wide level across the leaders of each respective subcategory, a healthier housing market could have evolved. And our belief with Housing Wire is that connecting housing professionals across the ecosystem from home building, to real estate, to mortgage origination, to capital markets, loan servicing, appraisal, title, like all of these ecosystems can come together and work together and learn together. We will build a healthier, more sustainable housing market. That's a better place for you and I to work and the audiences that we serve to work and build careers and build net worth, but also for home homeowners, the American people to have a more sustainable housing economy. That's more functional and you can act and don't have this fear that we do right now that like, it's a bad time to sell and also a bad time to buy. And we really believe that access to information across the industry, it's not just, it's not just a business we run, but it's also there's a mission that we can build something better for the housing industry and for American families that, that own and rent real estate. So that's the big vision from an audience perspective. It'd be a little more granular, Mike. We have always focused on serving executives across the housing industry. We want to make sure that every independent mortgage bank C-suite executive, and depository bank executive, and credit union executive, anybody that has a mortgage business, reads us every day. We want the leaders of loan servicing shops and capital markets desks to read Housing Wire every day. We want real estate agents and brokers and team leaders to read Housing Wire and Real Trends and engage in the community. We are there to serve those professionals. And through that, we've built really large audiences of title professionals, appraisers, and other folks across the housing ecosystem, from home builders to investors that value housing information to do their job better. And uh, so we seek to serve the housing professional across those subcategories. And we also attract an audience of, of kind of like the beltway audience. We have this like unknown and not really strategic, like audience of people inside of Washington, DC, from the white house to Congress, to Senate, to the federal reserve and all the different fed banks across the country that read housing wire, which we are proud of, but also means we have a, a high bar to clear in terms of the quality and timeliness of the information, because we information is driving policy.
0: That's great. That's that is says a lot, right? It's, it is that audience uh says a lot about the content that you're creating the media, the journalism that that you're doing, but also it because that audience is there. It says a lot about the kind of journalism you want to do.
1: Yep. Yeah. No, I mean, me- media is a uh, kind of joke. When we bought housing wire, we had 14 people were based in Irving, Texas. Oh, we're just 14 people out here in the suburb of Dallas doing our thing. But even at that time, um, Had a a massive audience from coast to coast and in big, big shoes to fill, big expectations to to serve and a big responsibility to play for our audience. And as we've grown, that responsibility has grown. So I still like that we're still a small business, but man does running like a media publishing and information business come with a lot of responsibility.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's a great place to thinking about the responsibility for the market. And so the big thing on the mindset, on our mind, so it's right at the end of December, this will go out the next week at the first week of January, I'm sure. And so we're looking at 2023. And uh, you have a perspective on the market from the perspective of your audience and your advertisers different from, which might be different from my perspective down in the data. What's your view on the housing and the mortgage markets for twenty twenty three What should we be expecting? so we do this, everybody
1: does it, but everyone talks about like predictions for twenty twenty three and as a business operator and investor, I run up an annual budget that starts january first and ends december thirty first as do everybody that we serve inside of our professional audience december thirty first is this like hard cutoff date and something new starts on january first. The thing i've been reminding myself and watching for in the data and the coverage is that cycles and markets don't necessarily follow fiscal years. And 2022 was definitely a tale of two halves. We started 2022 in this low rate environment, incredibly competitive home buying market where homes were still getting dozens of offers or hundreds in certain parts of the country. And then we saw rates start creeping up. And demand pulled back and prices stabilized. And then the last few months have declined. And we've seen this like incredible shift and I would, it's almost better talking about the new year is like July 1st to June 30th. And, and so, but I'm really excited for 2023, but I'm not anticipating like this page turn and like we start a new chapter in the housing market in January. Interest rates are still in the sixes. That's keeping buyers on the sidelines. Prices are still high. Sellers don't want to sell for anything less than their neighbors sold for in May and June. And I don't know that they've come to terms with that. They're not in a competitive bid scenario where they're going to list and have dozens of offers in a matter of days or weeks. And I don't think that changes in January, but I think we do have something to look forward to in in 2023. And like, I, there's a little like hesitant optimism that like starts in kind of the late spring selling season, buying season, and goes into the second half of the year, the economists that I follow are all kind of guiding toward interest rates that stabilize in the fives in the second half of 2023. The NBA is who's right sometimes. And sometimes not, I guess that's the, the challenge of being a forecaster is forecasting rates to thirty-year fixed-rate mortgages to average five point two come December of twenty twenty-three, which is a really healthy housing market. And I know there's home buyers out there, and loan originators, and real estate agents who are who are hungry for rates in the threes or fours again. I was gonna say high twos, but let's not even talk about that. But the reality is, what it takes for us to see mortgage rates in the threes again is a global pandemic not like lockdowns across the united states the economy halting and the threat of world war three all happening at the same time and that is not a scenario i hope for and i believe that our housing economy homes can buy can can trade homes can be sold and be bought very healthily in in the fives so there is this vision for the second half of 2023 where we start to see rates trickle down beneath six and kind of bounce between five and six for the second half of the year. And that will prompt activity movement and rates prompts activity. And I think that's going to be an important part of the narrative that we're watching for in, in 2023.
0: That's a great vision. It's very clear. And I'm, and I'm aligned with you. Like I've said that five and a half that we saw in, in August you could really, this year we could really see activity. And then when rates in the first week of September yep. spiked above six and a half, you could see things, just the brakes hit really, really dramatically. Is there in your vision, is there anything or your view, is there anything in the, in the, like in your set of people you're talking to, like insight of executives or things like that, that, that give you a view of people preparing or what they're expecting beyond things like rates? Yeah,
1: I mean, so, I mean, rates matter. I mean, we're watching the economic indicators to figure out what's gonna happen with rates. I was joking with Diego, our and Logan last week that I've never felt this, like, dynamic before where we're rooting for bad economic data to to come out. You want a low, like a negative CPI read and like you want job growth to to halt and see unemployment start to pop up. Like we're rooting for bad data, which the whole market is right. Like the stock market, not just housing, like the stock market is rooting for bad data because they know it will influence federal reserve decision-making. So that's one that's kind of influenced by some of the folks I've Had a lot of conversations with but going like a little bit deeper into other conversations i've had with smart people we respect i am hearing that narrative that i started with like hesitant optimism for the back half of 2023 last week we interviewed ruben gonzalez chief economist at at keller williams and he was sharing a view that he sees like the slowness we're seeing right now and like keller sees a lot of transactions Will lead to supply having a chance to kind of normalize or' come back to normal a little bit in the first half of this year, which which will kind of create a slightly better inventory metric than we're looking at right now, which I think is like one point six nationally, which I, which you've a much better uh, tighter pulse on than I do on the real time Altus that Mike. <laughs> But I think Ruben's view of like kind of seeing supply normalize in the first half of the year is a relatively obvious one. If we keep watching transaction days on market kind of tick up and new listings like slow down, but that's one interesting perspective. Another perspective that's kind of on the positive side rose colored glasses from Jessica Lotz at national association of realtors kind of, kind of sees over the last two years, first time home buyers have all but been squeezed out of the market. They were not competitive in multiple offer scenarios. They were not, and they could not afford the rapid rise in home prices compounded with rising interest rates. And 2023 might actually bring a market where first time home buyers have an opportunity to be competitive. And we could see some of that household formation that, that Logan's been talking about and writing about for several years, actually come to fruition and come to the housing market with first time home buyers who can be competitive in the space
0: yeah first time home buyers is a really interesting opportunity they've been so squeezed out with cash heavy repeat buyers investors and so at the very least they have they have a less competitive environment that they can go start and make some offers and not just get destroyed in in every direction that's pretty interesting there's also some incentives or programs like government programs to help first time home buyers. So there are some of those programs that buy down the rate for a first time home buyer. So all of a sudden it's in the fours, like there, there's some real opportunity first time home buyers in there for the first time in a few years. So maybe that's like a little confirmation bias that we're looking for. We're looking for some good news. Yeah. We're
1: Yeah, we're looking for rose colored glasses, I guess, but I mean, it's not all rosy. So on the negative side, I We're seeing it play out in the second half of this year, and I think this trend will continue pretty strongly in the first half of 2023, is just, there's going to be lower employment levels in the housing industry. And there's going to be real estate agents and realtors who have not done a transaction in, in months or a year, and they're going to choose to seek employment elsewhere, choose other means of income. That's also happening in the loan originator side. Transactions are down. 50 to 65%, depending on exactly how you look at it, but head count in the mortgage industry is only down 15 to 20%. So is there another shoe to drop on industry, mortgage industry employment in the first half of 2023? One of the things that's been notable to me through my podcast, housing news, where I interview executives across the housing industry is a relative comfort level with right-sizing kind of workforces in the mortgage industry, this, which sounds like the first time I you hear it, it feels pretty callous. But the operators who have been through multiple cycles, and like, you look at the top 10 lenders, the top 10 Honda lenders, the top 25 HMDA lenders, many of them are led by seasoned executives who have been through three, four, five, six, seven cycles. And unfortunately, our industry, the mortgage industry, is not elastic. And when we have booms in volume, whether it's purchase or refi or both at the same time, like we saw in the last two years, there's only one way to ramp up, and that is rapid hiring. And what the mortgage industry did over the last two years was recruit like madmen, but also pay up for a lot of talent. We saw wages for processors and underwriters and loan officer assistants shoot through the roof. Underwriters were getting double their salary in many scenarios to switch firms. And now those same people who recruited 12, 18, 24 months ago at record high compensation levels are at risk if they're not already gone from their current employer. And those jobs just aren't available elsewhere in the mortgage ecosystem right now, which is putting pretty like, large number of unemployed former mortgage professionals in the ecosystem without a new lender to turn toward at the same time this is going on like the ops and support side loan officer recruitment is still running at full speed but it's highly focused on loan originators who have a specialty in purchase mortgage origination and have either a really strong local community presence with really strong refer realtor referral sources Or B, is the new breed of loan originator, incredibly strong social media presences. And there's a new breed, it's a small breed of loan originators who have massive followings on TikTok and, uh, and Instagram that are getting a lot of purchase volume through those channels, despite the fact that the industry has taken a massive downturn. So those are like some of the trends we're seeing. So I started off like talking about the executive's comfort level with changing headcount. It's It feels funny. Like you usually think of firms that do massive layoffs as having a scarlet letter, but like the executives making these decisions and making the tough calls to right-size their organizations to maintain profitability, or at least have a shot at profitability, look pretty good. They look like they know what they're doing, despite the fact that it comes with a, a pretty high burden on the people that once worked for them.
0: Yeah, and do you suppose that the change in the volume? So volume is way down. It was high at the beginning of the year, way down. So the year-over-year comparison is really tricky. Yep. Um, And we know at the end of last year the volume was too high. You couldn't. You like like it it was like people were overwhelmed. So now do you suppose that the reason that that I hadn't thought about it this way, but the mortgage headcount is only down maybe fifteen percent? When the volume is out 50%, do you, do we have another, uh, like year to go? What's the comparison at the end of next year? Do we get a little bit of volume back and get it to a normal level? And so we actually don't have to drop 50% of our, yeah, I mean,
1: yeah. I mean, I think there's a, like the age old adage of, are you cutting like fat or muscle? I think a lot of lenders are thinking about it through that vantage point. They worked incredibly hard recruit the teams they have, both in operations and in origination or sales, every type of business we're talking about in the housing industry. And people don't necessarily just want to let all that talent go. They worked so hard to recruit and train and retain. So there are still lenders that are holding on to staffing levels that might not be logical if you just look at the origination volume and divide by the number of employees, look at origination per headcount, but it is preparation for a healthier market if you are optimistic about the second half of 2023.
0: Yeah, what's your view on recession coming?
1: I mean, so this is like the odd part of being a housing professional, like an economic recession for the broader US housing, or broader US economy may very well be a good thing for the housing market. When you look back historically, reset, we often see, or I think almost always with the exception of one recession, GFC, see home prices maintain or grow during recessionary periods. And housing has often been seen as a recessionary and inflationary hedge for a lot of consumers. So that's one dynamic. The other dynamic is a recession, a, an economic recession or a job loss recession will be the trigger point for the federal reserve to take their foot off our damn throats. And that is like literally, when I talk to executives in the housing industry, that is how they feel. They feel like the federal reserve put a foot on their throat. And like the people who want to look back at the last three years, there's a, it's always like in, in mortgage lending, nobody wants to be the lender that's like majority refi volume. Like it purchases, purchases healthier. But if this industry did not, step up to the plate and hire and pro- originate and process millions of refi loans in 20 second second half of 2020, 2021, and 2022, there would be millions of American homeowners sitting out there with interest rates in the fives, sixes, sevens, eights, instead of this average rate we see now that's less than 4%. And the mortgage industry did its job it lowered the cost of home ownership for millions of Americans. And I think that's something that a lot of executives and originators should be proud of, even if it means now we're going into this blight period where there's no refi volume and the industry has to make massive changes to be healthy into the future.
0: That's great. So a view that a recession could be good for housing, or at the very least that housing is good for the recession, like helps. Get yeah. Out- so.
1: I don't know. Tell me if you agree on this, but so Logan made a call back in June that, like, the ha- June 2022, the housing recession has begun. And, and I, from the metrics I've seen, that's played out like perfectly well. So I see perfectly accurate to be <laughs> argued, but housing entered a recession before the broader economy has or will. And I, you watch history, you watch the data, you listen to economists, it feels like we will be a leading sector on the way out of any period of economic turmoil. How long that turmoil is to be determined. Do we actually enter a recession in Q2 of this year, 2023? To be determined. But if anything, a recession, a global economic or national economic and job loss recession will bring some reprie- reprieve to mortgage interest rates.
0: Yeah. And I think that seems likely. It seems even if we escape recession, it seems likely that we have economic slowdown that, therefore, at the very least, we, we stop our rate hikes. The Fed is working on some of the more real-time days. They're paying attention to what's actually happening, especially since housing has been a driver of the inflation numbers. That, like, paying attention, like, that we have some change in that view I mean,
1: that that's one thing I've heard you talking about for months is the lag in home prices and maybe more importantly, rental prices on CPI. And I think it was, I don't think it was until the last Fed meeting where PAL's minutes actually reflected an understanding that we wouldn't see housing
0: or rent specifically reflected in CPI for a
1: 12 month lag period.
0: Is that right? Yeah, I think they, they have acknowledged it. And there's also a latest, I think it was the Cleveland Fed published a new rent index that is less lagging. And so it feels like they the, the decision-making apparatus is aware of that challenge. And so even if the CPI is going up, that's driven by rents that rose in May or April of 2022 that yep. we would have, we should be able to see... That and hopefully the policymakers will be able to take that into account, understand what's actually happening, and make start to make some new decisions on it. Yeah, it does sound like though that they, they're more interested in watching the jobs numbers than that inflation per se.
1: Yeah, it's it's so, interesting, like the inputs to inflation and like how in the sites wage growth is, um, which is something that American people, aka voters usually appreciate when their wages grow. And yeah, the Federal Reserve, not an elected body, but an appointed body. Oh I'm always wondering if they'll start to feel the pressure from their counterparts on the elected side of the house.
0: Yeah. I did it one of my, one of the top of mind podcast interviews with Nick timoros from the Wall Street Journal. And he has a real pulse on the Fed and has some really great insights in his book, Trillion Dollar Triage is the book yep. that uh, about how Fed's period of being politically independent was for a while and has sort of evaporated a little bit (laughs) post-Trump. So we'll see how that plays. So you mentioned a minute ago about changes in things like days on market. I've heard you talk about a sort of hypothesis you have about how the market itself changes in the next decade, like from the 2010s into the 2020s, specifically with like days on market, like time to sell a house. You want to exp- share that with us and let me know what you're thinking about? And like. How, what- yeah, I mean,
1: you can see this in the Altos data, but if you look back for several decades, we have this 30 or 40 year, as long as the data is available, trend where it takes some cycles and like odd market dynamics out of it. But a multi-decade trend where days on market has been getting lower. Kind of similar to the multi-decade trend of seeing mortgage interest rates go lower, which is that uh, we're in an odd period of that right now. But a multi-decade trend of, Cheaper, more efficient capital, and more efficient housing markets. And I use efficient as a a signal toward how easy it is to buy and sell a home. And when you have days on market, average days on market, that is 50, 60, 100, 150, that is not efficient. If it takes 100 days to sell your house, like after you prep it, hire an agent, stage it, all the stuff to do to prep for listing... Like a half a year is not a reasonable amount of and, I'm, and this is not a half a year market, but like when you go back to the old days, like it could take a half a year to hire an agent and sell a home. So we have to be excited about efficiency. It should be efficient to buy and sell anything. That is why markets exist. And one of the things that has helped other markets become more efficient, like maybe the best example is the stock market. It has been technology, available technology that helps people discover assets, discover pricing, and transact. And that is something that we've seen happen in a big way in the housing industry in the last several decades. Probably the most notable part is listings coming online and not waiting for your Sunday paper. Or, I mean, I, you know, I am not old, Mike, but I still remember going with my dad to pick up like the little like flyer and see, he's a, my dad's a mortgage originator to see the listings in our hometown in Florida. And that's not efficient. Like right there, just by waiting for print, you're losing like seven to 14 days of days on market and urgency. And now people are using Zillow and realtor.com. And if you're anything like me, you set your screens to the last 24 hours or last seven days to see the new listings. We want the new inventory and they don't pay much attention to the stale stuff unless they're, they're looking for values. So we've seen technology make discoverability happen. Then we saw this technology bring, bring pricing transparency. The Zestimate was huge in the evolution of uh, housing price discoverability. And then over the last decade, we've started to see the mortgage in transaction side of the industry start in the 2010s, we saw digital point of sale really become an expectation in mortgage origination. I've had three or four guests on housing news in the last quarter who've mentioned that how much, despite being competitors, how much they appreciate Rocket's push button, get mortgage campaign because it forced technology into the mortgage ecosystem and digital point of sale has become no longer a differentiator, but a must have. And then COVID came. Innovation shifted to the back half of the transaction. We saw much bigger emphasis on the closing processes Title, title Innovations, like I, I closed a loan during the first few months of COVID and had to do a drive-by closing and another one that I had to do a front porch closing. And now we're actually seeing e-closings with digital notarization happen, which is a really good thing. It's not universal yet. There's still a lot of adoption and a lot of state-level wins that have to happen for complete e-closing to be a, a market standard, but we're moving in that direction. And as we move into this phase of the housing economy, and every economic wave brings a new incentive to innovate in a different part of the economy, the incentive right now is cost efficiency. And that cost efficiency is coming out of the center of the mortgage process. So digital point of sale a decade ago, e-closing and digital notarization during COVID. And now we're finally squeezing some technology into processing, underwriting, servicing capital markets all the things that have to happen to have an efficient loan closing and an efficient loan management and servicing capital markets after the loan is closed all of these things bring positive outcomes to homeowners and real estate agents who are looking for more certainty more transparency and better communication and shorter timelines during The closing process. And I'd be amiss if I didn't talk about some of the innovation on the valuation side of the house, which is also changing really quickly as we start to see remote val and some other technologies come front and center to make appraisers more efficient and help them operate at their highest and best. That's great.
0: So you mentioned a few sort of pass-through benefits to the consumer.
1: Yep. Reiterate those. The biggest complaint consumers and real estate agents have in the home financing process and the transaction is transparency. And like seeing, like we we don't expect like five years ago, people used to use the the dominoes analogy of being able to see like your like loan move through a pipeline. And some of those tools are out there now, but ultimately consumers don't want to wait around until a week before close to find out if their home appraised out. Like how miserable is that? Like you go through this whole application and underwriting process, like you're planning movers and hopefully you didn't buy furniture, but you're thinking about it for after that move in date. And a week before close, you find out your home didn't appraise out. Now we're actually seeing valuation technology come in at the front end of the mortgage process, which helps the consumer so they understand if their offer is over market or over value And they're not actually going to appraise out and be able to get financing. But it also really helps mortgage lenders and real estate agents use their time more effectively. As much as the consumer hates that experience, the agent hates it even more. They're not getting paid a commission. And also, the loan originator or the mortgage bank is sucking down costs during that whole underwriting process while they wait for an appraisal at the very end. And ultimately that's very inefficient to banks that are already operating on very thin, if not negative margins in this current market. So, and it's an important place to to innovate and one that had to happen for us to step forward into a true digital mortgage ecosystem. And we're on the precipice here, Mike, like digital close is not universal. Valuation at the front end of the application or underwriting process is not universal yet, but it's happening. And there's lenders that have these tools in place and technology solutions providers that are putting these tools in place and helping their clients like step forward into the 21st century. And, uh, and also like, it's not just the lenders adopting it's getting the regulators and the GSEs and the capital markets to adopt and recommend and approve and it's, uh, it's fascinating to talk to some of these tech entrepreneurs who not only have to build a great product, teach a team how to sell it adopt clients. Oh yeah, before that you have to win the government over and get the GSCs to say yes, you can do this. It's a massive hurdle to innovation but one that is necessary in a regulated market that affects nearly every single American citizen.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. What a uh, great overview there. Yeah, I know I bought my I bought a house last time I bought a house. It's like I am self-employed. You know, do I am I going to get a mortgage like what is that even going to mean? Like I think I can afford it but I had no idea. If you've been like a self-employed
1: buyer or borrower during those really competitive periods in 2021, you would have been SOL. Like the loan, the buyers that were being preferenced were conventional borrowers with full preapprovals, conventional products. The latter end of this 2022 cycle and something we're seeing right now are more acceptances and more focus on serving kind of the non-QM, the non-qualified mortgage buyer which a large percentage of those people are self-employed borrowers. So just like we might see a first time homeowner wave in 2023, we might actually see some more non-QM come to market. That's a tough prediction though, because the non-QM market has been heavily affected by swings in mortgage interest rates. It's very challenging to operate private capital business when rates are changing so quickly. So we need that market that private investor pool to have demand for non-QM product uh, for non-QM and the self-employed borrower and credit blemish products to operate effectively in, in 2023. So watching that one closely, but seeing some really positive indicators from some of the big players out there.
0: That's interesting. That's an interesting pred- prediction that, that the non-QM mortgages get a little room to grow, meaning that our rate volatility mellows out. Yeah. if we stay around six, then we know what it is, that volatility goes. Yep, and that, that those non-QM buyers are like first-time buyers were squeezed out in the most competitive times, and so now there's some opportunity around the edges.
1: Yep, an efficient market would serve those people in in all cycles, but in the last few years, where it was a year where people were forced to pick the path of least resistance, and for agents and loan originators, a lot of that meant like focus on the easy approvals and focus on the refis and stuff that moves fast. But ultimately, it was the originators who stayed true to serving purchase buyers and took time to work with real estate agents on the harder loans that will get the referrals
0: in 2023 and beyond. So double-edged sword. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Let's switch gears and let's talk about the longer term future. Your view of the next 10 years in the housing market.
1: Yeah. So the bet I made when we bought housing wire and that we make every single day is that. Over centuries or generations, people have decided they like living in shelter more than the alternative. So we're bullish, long-term bullish on housing. We think that housing will continue to exist and and that people are going to need to finance it and use advisors to buy and sell real estate. So when you take all the cycles out of it, we're long-term bullish on the fact that American citizens want to live in houses. And overall, they've shown a preference for owning those houses and the independence that brings. That's a jokey answer, but the reality is I have come into this industry knowing that we operate in a cyclical space and that we have to build businesses that are resilient to cycles and know how to navigate, know how to, when to put your foot on the gas and when to be aggressive on the organic side and when to be aggressive on the acquisition side. And ultimately, I think we stay really true to our vision of serving housing professionals and helping them be more efficient in all market cycles. We will grow with them and we'll make this market healthier. So, so Mike, I think as we like think about the next decade, we entered this decade with Logan Motoshami shouting from the rooftops that the average age of the first time home buyer in 2020 was 32 years old and more people turned age 32 in 2020 than any year in history. And guess what year that was beat? 2021. And what year was that beat again? 2022. And it'll also be beaten 2023 and 2024. Like demographics are our friend. Home price appreciation and expensive or high mortgage rates have made this market harder for household formation. But ultimately, we still have a very large population of sidelined 30 to 35-year-olds or 30 to 40-year-olds who will enter the housing market either as owners or renters. And ultimately, we need to serve the builders, the real estate agents, the loan originators who are going to serve that ownership market. And we also want to serve those multifamily developers and property managers and SFR owner operators who are going to serve the folks that choose to rent. Um, And if we do that by covering the right news and economic data, the right housing market information, the right technology innovators that are helping make this market work, then we will serve the entire housing economy and hopefully build an ecosystem that serves the homeownership or
0: living desires of the American people. That's great. You mentioned the uh, owner. Yeah. Yeah. No, the SFR, the si- single family rental, the investors, the big hedge funds, and the Wall Street money has gone into buying and owning a lot of rental, single family rental properties. Do you have a take on that space? both about like its utility in the world and also about where it goes in the future. Do they, does that group of money in a cyclical downturn, do they get afraid, pull back and accelerate our downturn? Or do they say, this is our opportunity and then take that arbitrage away and put a floor on the downturn? I mean, institutional capital cometh and
1: institutional capital goeth, I don't know. I mean, it's start and stop really quickly, Mike. Like when we saw institutional buyers come in and sweep up inventory in 2009 to 2012, it was a godsend. If the institutional buyers were not there to buy foreclosed properties and REO from lenders sitting on big REO balance sheets, like this market would still be screwed like 15 years later. And they played a really important role. I have been shocked, like honestly shocked to see that SFR market continue forward from that like post GFC era. Like I honestly fully believe that like all of those single family rental houses that were purchased in that nine through 12 or nine through 14 period will be flooding back in the market in 14, 15, 16. But no, instead they stayed, they operated and then they came back to market to buy more. And when they realized they couldn't buy fast enough, they started building. I still remember our housing wire, I think it was like April or May 2017. We had a build to rent like story and talked about the home builders who were shifting strategy to building for the SFR landlords. So a industry has emerged here. It is an asset class that works. I don't know if the economics are as promising as multifamily, but the difference is SFR has a saleable asset where if the single family rental rental income the NOI isn't isn't where these owners want it to be they can sell the assets where like a multifamily building is a multifamily building it's not as like easily repurposed or sold off in in pieces to the home ownership market so there is a an interesting safety net there for the Wall Street firms who who like this asset class and when you talk about releasing inventory and could that deteriorate the market it depends on what your definition of deteriorating the market is we're sitting at record low inventory right now, and I know the second the big um, B word that back, Blackstone-backed investors if they release inventory, the Wall Street Journal headlines will be brutal, and the consumer perception will be negative. The reality is, it will add inventory to a heavily inventory-constrained market. Now, that's not my prediction. I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't think that's going to happen, but it doesn't scare me. And uh, I think it. I think it's. And partially, that's because I look at things at a national level. I know there's markets like the Phoenix and Scottsdale area who are starting to feel some of those impacts already, not the release of inventory, but just the halt in buying. It has a negative impact on some markets that have heavy SFR percentages. But at a national level, um, it's not the biggest fear I have. I don't think it's a huge negative if we. See inventory come back to market, and in an inventory in an industry that operates off of volume, seeing home prices come down a point or two is not actually not the most negative thing that we could see for our professionals in the real estate brokerage or loan origination ecosystems.
0: Yeah, uh, so that's a great way to think about it. So I had to have a binary view of the if those investors <laughs> stop investing and want to unload, then now we add the inventory and we we we'll drop our demand and that exacerbates pricing downturn. But in a lot of senses, that is what frees up for first time home buyers or non-QM people like other opportunities there to get us back to a normal. Set. Rental
1: real estate's a long tail sector. It's like we just, it just started getting headlines when you put wall street money on it, but there has always been iBuyers operating in the market. What buyers were just aggressive real estate agents who wanted to build up an, a rental portfolio in their home market. And yeah. like, it's those people who have really been squeezed out of getting in on this, like building a big rental portfolio game. It's still an extremely long tail. Like the single family rental market is extremely long tail. Like, most rental homes are owned by local mom and pop, like small portfolio investors. Now do all of those people decide they're going sell to the, sell their houses? That's probably more painful than wall street deciding.
0: Yeah. That's 94% of the market is owned by individuals that own one to four doors. This is a definition of a long tail market. 94% are one to four doors. I mean, yeah, that says a lot. And and I wonder, so some of those folks were over, overbought, overfinanced 11 months ago, and they're going to get, they're going to have a hard time, especially ones who were levering up right at the end of that cycle. On the other hand, and so in normal parts of the cycle, then you watch them get crushed really quickly. On the other hand, a lot of them have such low rates, and everybody else has such low rates. Like I I still wonder if that's going to keep us out of any massive exodus. Even if you're in a you've got a house in Austin and you and your rental market starts to crater in a big recession, you still do you fight to hold on to that because you've got a 2.8% mortgage on the thing. Yeah. Okay. A lot of variables there. Yeah, lots of variables. And it'll be interesting to see where it plays out. I really appreciate your view on a lot of the technology and the players and the executives in the space. So that's a great, a great way to leave it for the day. Tell me, so where do people find you? You're on Twitter? Yep, on Twitter, Clayton A. Collins. And I just started a new
1: Instagram account which is more like housing focused. So housing Clayton, you can find me on Instagram. I'd appreciate some follows there because I'm feeling pretty lonely on my new account. So follow me on Instagram at housing Clayton. Shoot me House a note there Clayton.
0: All right. Yeah, I noticed you've done a couple of like the stories or the, the yeah, making things. some reels. Yeah,
1: um, pull, pulling Logan on camera on the reels too. We got a decent little system set up. I just need to do it every day, which is yeah, uh, which is great. Hard, All right, I'm working well, on it.
0: We're gonna get some mileage on Clayton's Instagram account to to talk about housing every day. So it's terrific, Clayton. Thank you so much for taking the time with us today. We explored a lot of the things in the market that like your perspective, which I like to get. Like that's why I do these conversations. So I really appreciate it. Everybody, this is the Top of Mind podcast. I'm Mike Simonson. I'm the founder of Altos Research. And we're now part of Housing Wire and HW Media. So thank you all. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Top of Mind. See you again next time. And be sure to click subscribe to get future episodes.